0: Highlights. and if I were to ask you the question, what do you think was the most amazing highlight in the life of David, I'm sure we have a range of answers. Perhaps some of you, or many, would be thinking that it was David's victory over Goliath, or one of his victories over the powerful enemies of Israel. Some of you might be thinking of that royal inauguration when Saul was no longer there and David is now the new king and and many people love the pop and the ceremony, and there was this great king. Or maybe you'll be thinking about the time when the ark was brought back to Jerusalem, which we were reminded of last week as Bryn took us through that, that passage in Scripture. Or maybe you're not even thinking about those big public events in David's life. You might be thinking more of the reflective moments that David had, when he wrote the Psalms, or as he sat and pondered the Lord's deliverance, from some great danger in his life, or as he sat and worshipped the Lord with his heart, David had all these incredible moments in his life. But when we look at the last words of David, I think we see that there is something greater than all of those things that I've just mentioned. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 5, it says, David says, he has made made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. So as David anticipated his departure from this life, that's where his thoughts went. His thoughts went to the covenant that God had made with him. Now, covenants are sometimes a little difficult, to understand in Scripture, but we're going to do our best today to see what was so special about this covenant that God made with them. So let's read together from 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we're going to read the first 17 verses. 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting from verse 1. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go to all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord. Thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you, and wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more. As formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever." In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, after the death of Saul, things began to improve for David. He was now the king of the whole land. He had built his palace, the Ark of the Covenant had been brought back to Jerusalem, and David were told had rest from his enemies, and so life had become very comfortable for David. But David had one major concern. It says, The king, David, said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Ark of God dwells in a tent. So David's concern there was that he was living well, But the ark of God was in a humble tent. (laughs) Friends, as the Lord blesses us, it is right for us to give back to Him, isn't it? When we think about what He has done for us, and how He has given us His beloved Son, He has given us His best, it is right for us to give back to Him, to give Him the first fruits in our lives. Jesus taught that we should seek first the kingdom of God comfortable living should never be our ultimate goal in our lives. And like David, I think we need to ask ourselves a question. Are we giving to God what he deserves? Is it your desire to build something for God in your life? This was a valid concern for David, and I believe it should be a concern for each of us as well. So what was Nathan's response to this? Nathan says, go to all that's in your heart for the Lord is with you. That was a gut response. Nathan must have thought, well that's a fair thing, that you're thinking it's a good idea, whatever is in your heart, go and do it. But we're told that night the Lord spoke to Nathan and He revealed to him that God had a different plan. His plan was that David, as a man of war, would not be the one who builds the temple. He would donate resources for the temple, but it would be his son, Solomon, who would be the one the temple. No doubt this was a great disappointment for David. We know disappointment. All of us have had our disappointments. Our hopes come crashing down. This year many have had disappointments with plans that have been made that have been, had to change because of the virus. Someone once said, our disappointments are God's appointments. Our disappointments are God's appointments. When God denies us something, He always has a better plan. That was true for David. God said to David, David, you are wanting to build a house for me, but I'm actually going to build a house for you. We see that in verse 11 where it says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. So God was going to make a house for David. And how often are we like that? We think that our will is best, We have our desires, and when they don't work out, we get upset, but God has a different plan for us, and we need to learn how to cheerfully accept and submit to God's will when it doesn't agree with where we were hoping to go. David was not permitted to build the temple, but the Lord recognized what was in David's heart, and we see that from when Solomon, his son, speaks. In 1 Kings 8.18 where it says, But the Lord said to my father, David, because it was in your heart to build a house, for my name you did well that it was in your heart. Sometimes we have something in our heart and it's a precious thing, but we're just not able to do it. Either we don't have the resources or we don't have the energy or for whatever reason. But the Lord knows what's in our hearts. He knows the good things that we desire to do for Him even if we are not able to do that. So the Lord had something better for David. He was going to give him a covenant. So that leads us to the question, well, what exactly is a covenant? How does it differ from a contract? We all know contracts. We have contracts. Probably many of us have self phone contracts with Vodacom or MTN or Celsi or Telcom. So we know what a contract is. But a contract is generally impersonal, isn't it? It's not a personal thing. The idea is that these companies want your money and so they have this contract to make sure they get it. We probably all know Albert Einstein as the great physicist, the brilliant man, but there was a darker side to him. There was a cruel side to him. In a fading marriage, he wrote out a contract for his wife and the conditions were the following. First of all, you will make sure that my clothes And laundry are kept in good order. You will make sure that I will receive my three meals regularly in my room, that my bedroom and study are kept neat, and especially that my desk is left for my use only. B. You will renounce all personal relations with me insofar as they are not completely necessary for social reasons. Specifically, you will forego my sitting at home with you, my going out or travelling with you. You will obey the following points, in your relations with me, you will not expect any intimacy with me, nor will you reproach me in any way. You will stop talking to me if I request it. You will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request it. You will undertake not to belittle me in front of our children, either through words or behavior. That was nasty, wasn't it? That was a contract that he tried trying to get his wife to sign. What a nasty thing. But when you look at God's covenants, they are completely opposite to that. God's covenants are relational, they are kind. His desire in these covenants is that we would dwell with Him. God desires for His people to dwell with Him. So a covenant is a binding agreement involving love. Now I want to look at a number of features of this covenant that we read here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. A number of characteristics or features. And the first is this that the Davidic covenant echoes the Abrahamic covenant. It It is very similar to the Abrahamic covenant, but it expands upon it. In Genesis chapter 12, we're told that God promised Abraham a number of things. He promised Abraham a great name saw in the Davidic covenant that God also promised David a great name that's verse 9 God promised Abraham land here in verse 10 in this section we see that God says I will appoint a place for my people Israel God also promised Abraham a seed through which all the nations on the earth would be blessed and David understood in this covenant in his prayer in verse 19 that this covenant would benefit all of mankind. So both covenants are unilateral based. God simply said this is what he's going to do. They are unconditional. There's no if in the covenant. So the covenants will not fail. They cannot fail because they are based only upon God's word. So first of all, David's covenant echoes the Abrahamic covenant in many respects. It's similar, but it expands upon it. Secondly, it also anticipates the reign of Solomon and the king of Judah. One of David's sons, we are told, would rule after him. And in verse 12, it says he will come from your body. In verse 13, he will build a house for my name. And we know Solomon was the one who built the temple. Verse 14, it says when he commits iniquity, God will discipline him. That's what a gracious father does. A father who is kind, who loves his children, correct and discipline his children and God would do that with the kings of Judah. There is also the promise for future kings. In this passage we see the idea here is that there is a dynasty. This is not just about Solomon but there is a dynasty. And the terms used that God said I will build a house, a kingdom, a throne. And the whole idea here is that the future kings of Judah would reign. So that the Davidic covenant anticipates the reign of Solomon and the future kings of Judah, but it goes a step further. It also anticipates the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this covenant looks not just through the binoculars at the the near fulfillment of the kings following David, but it also looks 950 years later when our Lord Jesus Christ comes to the world. And so it looks through the telescope of Christ's first coming to the world. We see from the the prayer that David prayed in verse 19 that it would benefit all of mankind that the throne would be forever and this has to refer to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that it does because the New Testament teaches us very clearly that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of David. The opening verse of the New Testament, Matthew 1.1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ Son of David, the son of Abraham. And so the immediate, the first person in the New Testament links the Davidic covenant to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. The Apostle Paul links the seed of David to Jesus Christ and to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2 8 says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So the Davidic Covenant has relevance to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to save the sinners like us. Jesus accepted the title of the Son of David. Many people came to him calling out the name Son of David. For example, in Matthew 9, there were two blind men who were following Jesus, and they were crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy upon me. In Matthew 15, there was a Canaanite woman. We had a demon possessed daughter, and this woman was crying out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Matthew 21, there were children in the temple, and they were saying Hosanna to the Son of David. So, everyone in Jesus' day understood that the Messiah would have the title Son of David, and Jesus accepted this title. The last chapter of the Bible in, Matthew, in Revelation 22, verse 16, says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. So the Davidic covenant points to Jesus Christ coming into the world to save sinners like us. But the Davidic covenant goes even beyond that. It takes us to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 13 of our passage in 2 Samuel chapter 13 says, He would establish the throne of His kingdom forever. So now we're talking about a throne, and we're talking about Christ's reign, His kingdom, and we're talking about Christ's second coming. This clearly looks way beyond Solomon. This looks to Christ, His first coming, and even to His second coming. Now as we study scripture, I think one thing is very clear, that in Jesus' first coming, he comes to save us. The Son of Man comes to seek and to save the lost. But when we're looking at passages that deal with his second coming, Jesus is coming as a judge and he's coming to reign. And that's what the Davidic Covenant is, finds its ultimate fulfillment in, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now I know that all Christians generally would agree that Jesus is. He's the descendant of David, he's the son of David, and he's the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And when it comes to the second coming, not all Christians agree on the details of it. But it is clear, I believe, that Jesus' second coming is a coming where he comes to reign. We often think of Isaiah 9:6 as one of the Christmas verses, we know it so well, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And indeed, we quote that every year at Christmas. But the following verse takes us way beyond Jesus' first coming. In Isaiah 9.7 says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever. When Jesus Christ comes again, he comes to reign, there will be justice, there will be peace. So this covenant refers predominantly to the second coming of Jesus Christ. As one looks at all the verses about peace that Jesus Christ brings and one looks at the world today one could hardly say that this is a peaceful world we live in. Things just seem to be getting worse. So the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant is the second coming of Jesus Christ when he comes to reign. Furthermore, the Davidic covenant anticipates a time of incredible blessing. This is a huge subject, and we could never do justice to it this morning. But this covenant anticipates an amazing blessing. In verse 10 it says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them. Scripture is saturated with ideas of the millennial blessing. Books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the Psalms, they're just saturated with these ideas that God is going to restore His people, that there is going to be a thousand year reign of Christ and that will be followed by a new heaven and a new earth. I just want to read one text that shows these that illustrates his blessings that comes when Christ comes to reign. In Ezekiel 34 verse 23 it says, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. What a beautiful picture of Christ as the shepherd of his people. There will be no competition in that day, the Lord alone will lead his people. Verse 24 says, And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David... Prince among them, I the Lord have spoken. This is a certainty. This cannot fail. In verse 25 says, I will make a covenant of peace with them and cause wild beasts to cease from the land, and they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. What a picture of safety. In verse 26, I will make them and the places all around my hill, speaking of Jerusalem and Judah, around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season, and there will be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield their increase. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord, when I have broken the bands of their yoke, and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. This is a picture of Christ reigning among His people, shepherding and blessing them, a time of perfect peace. relation to one another and in relation to their God. So the Davidic covenant anticipates a time of incredible blessings. Another thing it anticipates, what it tells us, is that it is an everlasting covenant. Verse 16 says, Your throne shall be established forever. This could not be said of Solomon. This has to be said of Christ. The seed of David We we all know the words of the angel to Mary in Luke 1.32 where it says, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Sometimes we look at our troubles and we think, "Wow, they're never going to end. You know, when's this all going to stop? When are we going to get rid of these monsters? You know, some things just seem to go on and on. But one thing is sure. All our trials will one day pass. That Jesus will reign forever. That we can be sure of. This covenant is an unbreakable covenant. Verse 16 also says, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure. The temptation is for us sometimes to think that God has forgotten His when our trials continue day after day, the pain that we sometimes have just goes on and on. We think that God has forgotten His promises. Israel felt like that and many times God speaks to them. One example is Jeremiah 33 verse 20 where it says, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David. My servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. What God is saying here is that this covenant is so certain, as certain as we have day and night right now, this covenant is certain. It will not be broken because it's based on God's word. No one can support God's plans. God has promised us so many things. He's promised to save us when we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins. His promise to save us, his promise to give us eternal life. He's promised that nothing shall separate us from his love. He's promised that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming to receive his bride, the church, is coming to receive us. He's promised us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade that's kept in heaven for you. He's promised us a millennium, a thousand-year reign of Christ. Where Satan is bound. And he's promised us a new heaven and a new earth. He's promised to wipe away all our tears. All his promises to us are unbreakable. They're unbreakable. God will never default on this covenant. We can sometimes default in our contracts, but God will never default on his covenant with us. He will never change the terms. Sometimes you have some agreement with a landlord or but the terms change. God never changes his terms when he makes a covenant because he is faithful. Lastly, this is a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of grace. Verse 15 says, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. All of God's covenants are covenants of grace. No one is saved by works. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. How does David respond to this covenant well, he has this beautiful prayer which I would encourage you to read? I'll just take a couple of those verses from the prayer in verse 18 of chapter, uh, 2 Samuel 7. Then King David went in and sat down before the Lord. That is, he went into the, the tabernacle and he sat down before the Lord. And this is what he said. He said, Who am I, the Lord? And what is my house, that you have brought me thus far In humility, David is saying, I don't deserve this. And he adds in verse 19, and yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord, you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, meaning that this covenant extends way into a long period of time, and he adds and this instruction is for mankind, that means it includes you and it includes me. And David says, what more can David say to you? So David is saying, Lord, as I think about this covenant and all the promises that you have promised me and mankind, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. Surely that's our response as we think about God sending his son into the world to save sinners like us. God sending His Son, born in Bethlehem, the city of David, to die for sinners like us. As we look in Scripture at the New Covenant, we see that we as believers are no longer foreigners of His grace, but by Christ's blood we are brought near to God. We have been delivered from the power of darkness. We have redemption through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And like David, we should be able to say, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house? that you have brought me thus far." Why would God include us in His plan of redemption? His redemption which was brought about through David's greatest Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace should overwhelm us. I'm going to end with a verse in Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus is teaching a lesson to His disciples, Matthew 19, 28. The incident that has preceded this is the rich young ruler had come to Jesus. He came running, but he went away sad because he wasn't willing to come to Jesus' terms. And this is what it says in Matthew 19, 28. And you'll notice an allusion here to the covenant. So Jesus said to them, his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, in the regeneration, where the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me, those who follow Jesus will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. The idea here is that if we trust the Lord Jesus Christ to save us, if we live our lives and follow him, we will be honoured. We will be honoured. And Jesus adds that everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, my name said shall receive a hundredfold and inherit an eternal life but many who are first will be lost and the last first. And we understand friends what the Lord has done for us in giving us his beloved son and all these promises that he has made through the covenants like the Davidic covenant our logical response should be total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ to follow him Jim Elliot was known for saying these words, he is no fault. he gives what he cannot keep, he gave what he cannot lose. Whatever we give for the Lord Jesus Christ, we will never lose on that deal. The Lord has promised to honour those who wholeheartedly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, David's greatest son. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you so much that you have given us the details of the life of David. And we've seen a man, not in God's own heart. we've seen a man who failed at times, but yet, he was a man who kept coming back to you. And you honoured him, with this covenant. And you are faithful, 950 years later, our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. And we thank you that, we may know too, that Christ is coming again. And he's going to receive his bride, and one day Christ will reign upon this earth, and we thank you so much for all the promises that are ours day by day. That we can go into this coming week and know that you're with us, and that you will never leave us, never forsake us. In Jesus' name.